Sundays with us. So make sure you say goodbye to her yeah. and uh, give her a big hug. And um, if you can keep her, then do that. But uh, make sure you say goodbye to her. Thanks, Adam, for remembering that. Hey, thanks to all you guys that read uh, scripture for us in your mother tongue. That was really beautiful. I really appreciate that. Adam, thanks for putting that together. That was, uh, I like that. We need to do that. We need to do that more often. Um, I'm going to, again, as, as I have been saying to you in the last weeks, I'm going to teach more than preach tonight, and uh, I'm not really going to uh, exposit a text. I'm just going to finish up our series on heaven, okay? So more, uh, more teaching than preaching. Uh, Florence Chadwick, some of you may have heard of her, especially some of you Brits, I don't know. Uh, she was the first uh, woman to swim the English Channel. Did you know this, Paul? Okay, now you know. Okay, now you know. Uh, but in 1952, she stepped into the uh, Pacific Ocean. She was going to swim from Catalina Island to the mainland, okay, to California. And uh, as she stepped into the waters, it was so foggy that she could... She couldn't even see the, the boats that were escorting her, right? And she swam for 15 hours. And she was physically and emotionally exhausted. And she begged uh, the escorting boats to take her out. And her mom was in one of those boats. And her mom said, you can make it, Florence. You can make it. You're close. You can make it. But all she could see was fog, right? That's all she could see. And so she, just, uh, she finally begged them to, to take her out of the water. And they took her out of the water. Well, the next day at the, uh, at the news conference, uh, you know, it, it became known that she was less than half a mile away. <laughs> she was less than half a mile away from the shore. And at the news conference, she said, I think if I could have seen the shore, I could have made it. But she couldn't see it. It was too foggy. She said, if I could have seen it, if I could have seen it, I think I could have made it. That's what, in some measure, this sermon series has been about. Because I want to encourage you uh, that you're close. You're close to the golden shore. Um, and I want to exhort you to finish strong. I want to exhort you to kick it on in, to, use the sw to stay with the swimming metaphor. I want to exhort you to, uh, to finish strong. We've been studying heaven here the last five weeks, and I've been studying it longer, and, and uh, I saw something as I was preparing. Uh, one, of my one of my favorite verses that I like to use frequently because it really highlights the, the transient nature of, of human existence, James 4.14. You guys know the verse. What are we? We're like vapors upon the earth, God tells us. He reminds us of our temporal existence here, our transient nature of our fleshly existence. And... And I saw something there for the first time that I'd never seen before. I bet I've read that verse maybe, I don't know, 500,000 times. I don't know. And I've never seen it before. I've never seen it before. There's a promise in there for the believer. Your vapor's upon the earth. What's the promise? You're almost, you're almost home. And I'll never read that verse again uh, quite the same. Because for the believer, it's a promise. You're almost home. You're close. You're about to finish. You know, kick it on in. And God is telling us that we don't have far to go. We're very, very close. And again tonight, as I have been the last few weeks, I'm just going to exhort you to finish strong, Christian. For as my, one of my best friends said to me one time, and I've never forgotten it, in a few minutes you're going to be with Christ. In a few moments, you will be with Him. 
you will be with Him in a few moments. Um, you read those overcoming verses in the book of Revelation. If you guys ever read through the book of Revelation, Jesus just keeps saying this over and over and over again. He says, if you overcome, I will let you eat of the tree of life. And it's almost like, um, you can, it's almost synonymous to seeing Jesus on the shore and He's saying, come on, come on, finish. Finish strong. You can do it. Kick it on in. You can do it. You're very, very close. I just want to share some of these overcoming verses with you from the book of Revelation. Revelation 2.7. Jesus says, For the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. To the one who overcomes, Revelation 2.11, Jesus says, will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2.17, The overcomer will receive some of the hidden manna. Revelation 2.26, the overcomer will be given authority over the nations. Revelation 2.28, the one who overcomes will receive the morning star. Revelation 3.5, Jesus says that the overcomer will be clothed in white. And then He says this, I will confess your name before my Father. Revelation 3.12, the overcomer will be a pillar in the temple of God. Revelation 3.21 Jesus says, and this is an awesome verse. I mean, you just have to get on your face when you read this verse, right? Jesus says, Revelation 3.21, To the one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. Do you guys know this? Did you guys know this verse was in the Bible? I bet there's some of you in here that did not know this verse was in the Bible. I mean, this is an awesome thing that Jesus says. Revelation 21.7, to the overcomer, they shall inherit the kingdom prepared for us before the foundation of the world. And he says, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Jesus is saying to you and me tonight, He's on the shore, you're less than half a mile away from the golden shore, and Jesus is crying out to you and me, He's exhorting you and me to finish strong. And that's really what, in large measure, this whole series has been about. I mean, do you really take it serious what God says? Do you really take it serious? I mean, you're only here like, boom, you're a vapor. And what have we been talking about these last few weeks? We're to be stewards, man. We're God's stewards. I was telling the morning congregation, you know, we get up and we think, oh, my house, my apartment, my car, you know, my stereo, my, my wife, my husband, my kids, my car. Listen, friends, none of it is yours. It all belongs to God. Every bit of it belongs to God. None of it is yours. You are simply a steward. And as we've talked about these last few weeks, you and I will all give an account to God of how we've been the steward over the things He's given to us. Your money, it's not your money. It's His money. What are you doing with it? Are you investing it in the kingdom of God? Jesus says, finish strong. He says, because your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, finish strong and take up your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, Matthew 25. It's almost like Jesus is on the shore and He's saying, come on, you can finish. I want you to finish and I want you to finish strong. And that's really going to be my exhortation all night long. Finish strong. You know, Florence Chadwick couldn't see the shore and she lost heart. I bet some of you haven't thought about the golden shore in a long time before we started this series. Friends, I want to challenge you from now on to think on heaven daily. 
I want you to put it in your Bible somewhere. I want you to think on heaven daily. Because if you think on heaven daily, you will not live the same as if you don't think on heaven daily. You will live differently if you meditate deeply on heaven and what God has promised us there. I'm going to exhort you not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. You know, Paul got this. What did he tell the Galatians? He said, hey man, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in your well-doing. Don't lose heart is what he said. And to the Philippians he said, uh, I press on forgetting what's behind and I reach for what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You remember what he told the Corinthians? He said, I run with an aim. What was Paul's aim? We talked about this about three weeks ago. To win. Is that how you're running toward heaven? Or is it just, you know, nice doctrine, it's good theology, but it doesn't really impact my life at all? Friends, God means for it to impact the way you live every single day. He means for you to think about heaven. He, he means for you to be heaven-minded. That's what God means. He wants His kids to be heaven-minded. And it's supposed to affect everything we do on this planet. So what does the Bible mean when, it, when Jesus talks about being an overcomer, what is, the, what is the, the Bible saying to us? And I know this phrase troubles some people. And uh, so I just wanted to talk about it just for a minute, to be an overcomer. Some of you may remember this, uh, this word from our study of 1 John uh, last year. 1 John. Um, we, looked at, we, we looked at this Greek word, and I got pretty jazzed up about this Greek word. Does anybody remember what, besides you guys, I know you guys, you heard the Anybody remember what the Greek word is about overcoming? Remember what the Greek word is that's translated overcoming? Pardon me? Nike. Some of you are probably wearing it, right? Some of you probably have Nike on your person. You know what that phrase means? Actually, the Greek is Nike, okay? Nike. To overcome, to prevail, to conquer, to get the victory. That's what the term means. Jesus says, my kids are Nike. My kids are overcomers. My kids will finish and they will finish strong. You know, this was a, a shocking thing for John to write in the first century world because the first century Christians, man, they were just a rogue group of religious zealots. And they worshipped, of all things, a crucified carpenter from Nazareth. Nike, that's a joke. Nike, it's a joke. And I love how I love the I love the exclamation point God puts on it in uh, in Romans chapter eight verse thirty seven, where Paul compounds the word nikeo and he puts hyper in the front of it. He God says my kids are hyper nikeo. They overwhelmingly conquer. They finish. They finish. They finish strong. That's what God's saying about His sons. And his daughters, we will reach the shore. Every born again, every born again Christian will reach the shore. We will. What is our assurance of that? You remember our study in First John, I think it's chapter five, chapter five, verse four. Because we are born of God. Do you remember that great verse? First John chapter five, verse four. We are born of God. That's our assurance. We are born of God. And how do we overcome? Does anybody remember? How do we overcome? How, why is it that we overcome? By our faith. Remember? By our faith in Jesus Christ. So every born again 
Christian, which is to say every genuine Christian, will overcome by the sovereign design, love, grace, and power of God. How many times did Jesus say it in the Gospel of John? I'll not lose any of my sons and daughters. I'll not lose one of them. I'll not lose one of them. We saw it over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. And again, we hit that, we hit that beautiful biblical tension between God's sovereignty. God says, I'm going to hold my kids. And the Bible then exhorts us to finish. Both things are true. I always love that tension in the Bible. Sovereignty and responsibility. And your responsibility is what? To be a good steward. To be ready to give an account. To lay up for yourselves treasures. That's your job. Jesus gives you that job. To lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. To build with gold and silver and precious stones. That's your responsibility. God says, I'm holding you. And then He exhorts you to live it huge. Let me ask you, Christian friend. No, nobody has to raise their hand. Are you living your faith huge? Or is it just a side, a compartment of your life? Or is it just there? Are you, but are you, are you appropriating it? And are you living it? This is what Jesus is calling us to, friends. This is what Jesus is calling us to. So why am I preaching on heaven? Because I want to remind you I want to remind you that the shore is close. I want to remind you that you're less than half a mile away. It's very, very close. And I want to exhort you to finish strong. Like you really believe what God says. Like you really believe it. Like it's going to matter in the morning when you wake up. And that heaven's real. And I am going to give an account. I am going to stand before this awesome God. And it matters. It matters for you. And the other reason I'm preaching about heaven is I just want to... Lord willing, communicate. Just I want you to be jazzed about it. I, I told the morning congregation that Psalm 1611 may, may be the one verse in the Bible that comes as close as any, uh, at least in my mind, to capture the, the fundamental essence of heaven. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 1611. In thy presence is, does anybody know? Fullness of joy. Oh man, that's heaven. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and in thy right hand are pleasures forever. How many of you believe that? Anybody? All right. Some people believe it. That's good. I always like it when people actually believe something the Bible says. It's a good sign. You know, it's a bad sign when people don't believe it. So, uh, in essence, David says God is perfect joy and God is everlasting pleasure. This is what David is saying. This is what God is actually saying about Himself. I am perfect joy and I am everlasting pleasure. And God says, I'm giving myself to you. <laughs> I get jazzed about it. I really do. I hope that you do as well. Um, I did a brief word study on this Hebrew word translated joy. It connotes gladness and delight and happiness and cheerfulness. And it, 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 it connoted something that surprised me. I, I wasn't expecting this. But there's a focus on the sensory here. There's a focus on the sensory. One commentator said this, it's entertainment for the senses. I just thought that was an interesting thought. I didn't realize that the word, the Hebrew word carried that connotation. It's as if, John, like Jonathan Edwards said, every human faculty will be an inlet of delight. In heaven, every human faculty will be an inlet of delight as we just keep receiving joy and pleasure from the living God. I love that. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says that uh, joy is the serious business of heaven. Don't you love that? Joy is the serious business in heaven. 
<laughs> That's what it's all about. It's about uh, God filling up His people with Himself. I also looked at this Hebrew word translated uh, pleasure, and it means sweetness and delight and loveliness and beauty and satisfaction and contentment. You guys know that, that you, some of you were with us when we went through the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 15 and chapter 17, uh, Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to give you maximum human joy. Jesus says, I'm going to give you divine joy. And if you go look at those texts, it's beautiful. Jesus says, uh, my joy will be in you and it will be made full in you. That's what's going to take all eternity to do as God just keeps pouring His divine, limitless, omnipotent, infinite joy into, into His people. Um, how many of you can imagine 10 minutes of ecstatic, euphoric joy? First of all, has anybody ever experienced ecstatic, euphoric joy? Some of us probably have, one way or another. Um, but can you imagine it? You know, I, I asked the morning congregation, okay, 10 minutes. Maybe I could think about it, ten, you know, when the baby's born, right? Maybe 10 minutes. Maybe an hour. I don't know. Maybe all day. For the mom. I know the moms really get into that, right? And uh, so, you know, the dads are into it too, but, you know, the moms are particularly involved. So, but maybe, maybe a whole day. But God says, forever. A billion eternities. Ecstatic, euphoric, divine joy. I mean, you know, if we're thinking rightly about heaven, friends, there's no way it cannot get us excited. And God means for us to be excited about the home He's prepared for us. To, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, to be united with joy, to pass into joy, to receive it into ourselves, and to become part of it. You guys know John 17, 21. Jesus prays this awesome thing. He prays for the redeemed and He said that, uh, may all, that we may all be one even as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, that the redeemed, that's you and me, born-again believers, also may be in us, God, Jesus says, in us, that we may be in us, in the Godhead, some mysterious way. And this is one of those verses that's too awesome to speculate, and I read a lot of commentary on that verse, you know, that somehow we were in union with God, in union with the Godhead, and no commentator can even get close. No one can describe what this means. There's mystery here. There's awesome mystery here. But somehow we will be in union with the Godhead. One theologian said it like this, it's almost as if the redeemed are the fourth member of the Trinity. And I don't mean any sacrilege or blasphemy there. He said that with great humility. But there's some sense in which the Scripture is leading us to think like that. Friends, <laughs> these are awesome things. Do you meditate on these truths? If you do, I promise it will change the way you live. If you meditate on these awesome truths, that God has given us in the Scripture. Jonathan Edwards says it like this, experience, we will experience ever-increasing joy, conformity, and union with God. I don't know what that means, but that's what John 17, 21 says. And he goes on, a never-ending, ever-increasing discovery of more and more of God with greater and greater joy and delight in Him. It's the Revelation chapter 4 thing, the eternal gasp. The eternal gasp, like those living creatures in Revelation chapter 4. Now, as I've been saying the last few weeks, God is the main attraction in heaven. He is the main attraction. 
He alone can fill up eternity. He can fill up our finite hearts forever because He is an infinite being. He doesn't need any help. There doesn't need to be any secondary or derivative joys. But you know, God is so good. He's so gracious. He's so kind. He's so giving. He loves to lavish abundant goodness upon His children. And so there will be 10,000 secondary joys and derivative joys all flowing from the throne of God. God says they're in my right hand. And He's just going to be casting out upon us for a billion eternities. Every pleasure in the right hand of God belongs to the redeemed. Every pleasure. <laughs> I don't know, man. As you can tell, I get a little excited about it. I get a little excited about it. You remember when, uh, uh, at the, uh, when, when the, the characters in, in uh, the last battle in the Narnia series, the Chronicles of Narnia series, uh, as they arrived in New Narnia, Lisa, uh, pardon me, Lucy said this, I've got a feeling we've gotten to the place where everything is allowed. Do you remember that line? Do any of you remember that line? I think we've, we've come to the place where everything is allowed. Guess what? Everything's allowed in heaven. And I know because we're fallen and we're sinful, some of our minds went to the uh, uh, fallen and sinful place. When I say everything's allowed, and you say, Jim, how can you, how can you say that? Here's how I can say that. There is no sin in heaven. And sin will be as distasteful to you and a, as alien to you and as unimaginable to you and unthinkable to you as it is to the Son of God. You will not have a sinful inclination. And so all that is good and all that is pure and all that is holy will be in heaven. Ten thousand delights. What does the song say? Ten thousand charms. Isn't there a song that says that? I think so. Ten thousand charms. Yeah, go look it up. Ten thousand charms. Before the living God. What does uh, 1 John 3, 2 say? It, it, it say? it says that when we see Him, we will be what? Like Him. We will have the righteousness of Jesus. And all that we desire will be pure and holy and good. And all that we desire will be allowed. All that we desire will be allowed. I, I, I love that thought. That may not... They may not touch you like it touches me, but it touches me. Every perfect, pure, good, delightful, joyful, pleasurable thing in heaven will be allowed for God's children. Now, I told you I'd show you the book. Um, this is Alcorn's book on heaven. If you're, if you're really interested in heaven, you should read this book. Um, it's about a third longer than it needs to be, but it's, uh, but it's really, really good. He spends about 200 pages in here asking, answering questions that, you know, goofy questions that people ask. Like um, that ever-pressing issue, will my pet be there? And will I be able to talk to him? So I'm, I won't give that one away. Um, I won't give that one away. Now, I want to I I acknowledge that, that some of the things, some of the questions are silly. But I also want to say some of them will make your heart explode. Because what Alcorn does, he does what Francis Schaeffer we talked about last week. Alcorn lets his imagination fly upon the Word of God. Remember what Francis Schaeffer said? He said, Christian is a really free man. His imagination's free. And he pours over the Scriptures. And his God is a limitless God. Right? So we let our imagination run beyond the stars upon the Word of God. Alcorn spends a lot of time doing that. So if you're interested, hey... 
go get this book. You can't have this one. It's mine, okay? And it's, it's all marked up. So um, uh, you might want to go find that book. You might want to go find that book. And I think tonight, I just want to revisit something. I could talk about 101 things up here, but I just want to revisit this issue regarding what heaven will be like. Will, it be, will the new earth be a Garden of Eden-like paradise? That's one of the, the major questions that Alcorn addresses. And we touched on this already. Yes, in my view, the new earth will be an Eden-like paradise. It will be better than Eden. How will it be better than the Garden of Eden? One thing which uh, sets it apart is that it's redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's redeemed by uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. The resurrected, uh, glorified Jesus Christ has redeemed the creation. You know, we talked about this last week. It's not just about, not just about you and me. It's about creation. God's going to redeem it all. You know, God gave us dominion. We gave it to Satan. God's taking it back through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the, the, the physical cosmos, the limitless and infinite uh, phys- uh, physical cosmos, is ours. It's ours. You know, it's like we talked about last week, that 11 billion times 6 trillion thing. The Hubble, can't, Hubble telescope can't find the end of the cosmos. It's because there's not one. <laughs> it's a picture of God. And it's a picture of the kingdom of God that He's giving to us. This limitless, uh, this just limitless, awe-inspiring truth. So God is redeeming the creation. You know that, that phrase that C.S. Lewis coined in the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. What did you remember? Did any of you remember what he called this fallen world? Does anybody remember? The Shadowlands. He called it the Shadowlands because you know this is just a shadow of what's to come. The new earth is just going to eclipse the fallen, marred earth. You know, one of the guys in the morning congregation was when he was praying this morning. He talked about the beauty on the mountain yesterday. How many of you, you did you just love the beauty on the mountain yesterday, friends? That's nothing compared to the new earth. That is marred by corruption. It's hard to define that for you, but this is what the Word of God tells us. You're standing on that mountain. That's nothing compared to what the kind of mountains you'll stand on in the new earth that you'll have dominion over and exercise authority over. I love that, the Shadowlands um, imagery. And you remember, you may remember in the last battle, there was some dialogue between the characters about the old Narnia and the new Narnia, just briefly. Uh, All of the old Narnia that mattered will be drawn into the new Narnia. I love that line because I think that's true. All that's good, all that honors God in this world will be drawn into the new world. Uh, The old Narnia was a shadow compared to the real thing. I think that's true. One of the characters said it like this, The new Narnia is a deeper country. Every rock, every flower, every blade of grass looked as if it meant more. And I I don't know, that captures my imagination. It may not capture yours. But every blade of grass, even as it was meant here to be for the glory of Jesus, will shout in worship to the glory of Jesus for all eternity. It looks like they, they look like they mean more. And then Mr. Unicorn set, summed it up perfectly. Mr. Unicorn said, I've come home at last. This is my real country. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. I belong here. The reason we loved old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little bit like this. Friends, that's the new heaven and the new earth. I think C.S. Lewis hit a home run there. I think C.S. Lewis hit a home run there. 
So, in the new earth, we will actually see the real earth. The earth God intends for His children to have dominion over. An Eden-like paradise. And as I told you last week, God is bringing His kids into the, into the family business. We will exercise dominion over the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, let me talk just briefly about Revelation 21. You guys can read it on your, on your own time. Uh, you, know the, you know the chapter where, where uh, John gets a, a vision of the new Jerusalem coming down and all the precious stones. He talks about the, the precious stones. and I just want to briefly touch on that. Um, first, uh, the first thing we can deduce uh, is that it's huge. Uh, Revelation 21.16 talks about the, the length and width and height. and It's a 2.25 million square miles. If you put it on the U.S. map, it would stretch, uh, length and width, it would stretch from Mexico to Canada and from the Appalachian Mountains uh, to California. So that's, that's uh, kind of the length and width. And, and the height of it would be, would be the distance between the, the southern tip of Florida to the northern tip of Maine. Okay, this is how big the new Jerusalem is. And some people get confused. They think, well, we're all going to be in this little cube. No. <laughs> this, is, this is the capital city. This is God's city. We'll be coming and going. We have an infinite cosmos to rule and reign over. Okay? But this is, this is the, the capital city. This is where God dwells. This is where God dwells. I love John MacArthur. Uh, his, his a quote on Revelation 21. Just listen to this real quick on verses 18 to 21 where it's talking about all the precious stones. The overpowering radiance of God's glory and beauty will refract and glisten through the entire city. The gems picture a brilliant, indescribable, striking, spectacular exhibition of the beautiful colors that are sent forth from the glory of the living God. Don't you love that? Can't you? I mean, this is going to be... <laughs> it's, going to be uh, it's going to be the eternal gasp. Um, it's going to be breathtaking every nanosecond. The Lord God shall illumine them, as Revelation 21 and 22 says. He will be the light of the new Jerusalem. So what will the new Jerusalem be like? It'll be like, you know, uh, it's, it'll be like a city. In my view, it'll be like a city. Uh, and it will have all of the best of the God-inspired human culture in it. You know, some people think, well, human culture is going to end. Well, the Bible never says human culture is going to end. Actually, God is glorified, uh, can be glorified in human culture. And so the best uh, part of human culture that does glorify God, it will be in that city uh, without the Satan-inspired uh, parts of the human culture that does not glorify God. Obviously, that will be gone. That will be gone. But human culture will go forth and bring honor and glory to God. I think that New Jerusalem will be filled with natural wonders and parks and gardens and uh, magnificent architecture and engineering marvels There'll be a thriving, dynamic, engaging culture and there'll be perfect oneness with the citizenry. I told the morning congregation, you won't need any of these because you don't have to lock anything because you really love your neighbor. <laughs> you really love him. I mean, if he needs something, he can have it. You know? I mean, that's how it's going to be. Perfect oneness. Uh, not only with God, but with every brother and sister in the new Jerusalem. I asked this question last week, I think it was, and, and I want to revisit it, and then we'll finish up here. Um, 
Is all we'll do in heaven is worship? Is that all we're going to do is worship? You know, some people, when, they start, when you start talking like this, their countenance falls. They go, oh, it's just going to be like church. You know? But, you know, so is that all we're going to do is worship? Yes. What did I tell you last week? Yes, that's all we'll do is worship. And I have no doubt, I have no doubt that, that we, we will be enthralled with Christ every nanosecond and we will simply sprint to the next worship service. Hey, Jesus is coming. He's going to be down there. We're going to go worship Him. Come on. Man, boom. We're gone. We're gone. We want to go. You know, that heart-exploding worship celebrations of Jesus Christ, I know that's going to be a big part of heaven. But you know what? We're also going to worship Jesus. And I, 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 have to, I want to do this. I want to do this thoroughly. We will also worship Jesus as we rule and reign and work and serve and explore and discover and learn and teach and design and create and investigate and build and dream. As we use our unique gifts and talents, as we travel, as we talk to angels. I don't know about talking to pets. I don't know about that. But as we talk to angels, as we talk to Abraham and David and Mary and Lazarus and Martin Luther, whoever you want to talk to, you know, as we, as we love and hug and touch and eat and relax and hike and ski and, I don't know, ride horses on the beach, 10,000 things you love to do, it'll all be allowed. And it'll all be to the glory of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus is, you know God's not jealous of derivative joys. He gave them to us. You know, you're supposed to be living your life right now. Your derivative joys, the secondary joys that God gives us, let's, let's just say, well, let's, we can say marriage. That's supposed to be for the glory of God. Right? Or, or, the, or the, the work you do, the gift you have. When you use it, that's supposed to be what? For the glory of God. It has always been like that. But in heaven, it will be that way. I love what Piper says about this. In heaven, we can really worship because we're never going to get tired. I love that. You know, we, the, the, there's not going to be a stamina issue. Sin is gone, so we can really worship, but, but stamina is not a problem. Stamina is not a problem. We will have the wherewithal, the physical wherewithal to worship Jesus. To worship Jesus. I want to make a closing comment. You know, there are some who, in the church, who are just not excited about heaven. And Karen made a good point to me uh, today. You know, she's, some, some of us haven't, really, haven't thought about it. Some of us haven't spent time thinking about it. Well, that's what this series is about. I'm challenging you to think about it in a way that changes everything you do and how you do it. Uh, you know, John Eldridge wrote a book uh, called uh, Wild at Heart, I think it was. And uh, he said, you know, you go into your average church in the U.S. and there's a bunch of bored people in there. And I know sometimes some of you are bored. I can see it on your face, you know. So it would help me if you would act like you're really enjoying the sermon. Okay? No, I'm, I'm just... But you know, and it's true, but you know what happens, you know, Christianity has been hijacked by religious organizations that have turned it into dead orthodoxy. And that is not Christianity. That is not Christianity. And if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and oh, if you're really walking with Him, Christianity will be anything but boring. It will not be boring. I promise you, it will not be boring. And if you're, you know, if you're with that group that actually, you know, takes risks with God, and you believe Him so much you can take a risk for God, uh, get ready, your heart's going to beat fast when He shows up. Because He will show up. So the modern church, you know, there's not many people jazzed about heaven. 
It's because they're not jazzed about God. And if you're not jazzed about God, I just want to say to you lovingly, if this is not something that occupies a large part of your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for Him and your desire to serve Him and your desire to know Him better, friends, if that's not a big part of your heart, then I, I want to say to you, in love, you're not converted. You may be religious, but you're not born again. Because if you're born again, the romance is on. The romance is on. And we talked about that a week or two ago. The eternal romance with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you read Hebrews 11 closely, you'll notice that there's a symbiotic relationship between really living faith. I'm talking about really living it. I'm not talking about just going to church. I'm talking about living your faith when you leave these walls. Uh, between living faith, between a really full uh, temporal existence, and between pointing at heaven. These three things you see in, in Hebrews 11. You see these three things. Uh, people really living their faith, living a, a, a really satisfying and re rewarding life on the earth, and they're pointing at heaven. This is God's recipe for the abundant life. Hebrews chapter 11. 1 John 3, 3 says this, Everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ purifies himself, and he is pure as Jesus is pure. So I asked the morning congregation, I'll ask you, you know, when you're in those idle moments and you let your mind go to the thing that you delight in the most, where does your mind go? Is heaven in there? <laughs> Friends, we're, we, we need to train our minds to start thinking about all the promises God has made us, okay? And I, I'm challenging you to be heaven-minded. I'm challenging you to take this serious. Write it in your Bible somewhere. Write it somewhere today, at least, at least for a little while today. I'm going to think about heaven and what the implications of heaven are in the way I love my wife or the way I do my job or, uh, or the way I treat my, my friend or the way I serve in my church. Friends, if you start thinking about heaven, there's going to be some things going to change in your life. I promise you. You start thinking about giving an account to God at the Bema Seat. Uh, your life is going to change. So, I want to encourage you to be heaven-minded. Christian friend, are you living your life uh, for that audience of one? The audience of one. Who's the audience of one? Jesus Christ. Are you living your life knowing that He is appraising your life? Knowing that the only appraisal that really matters is His? Are you living your life that way? And I want to encourage you and exhort you to live your life that way, to be heaven-minded, to build, be building your life on gold, silver, and precious stones, to be laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Live your Nikeo faith huge and live it large. I'm encouraging you and exhorting you to finish strong. You're only half a mile away from the shore and Jesus is on the shore and He's calling to us and exhorting us. Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Run to win. Run to win, Christian. God says, my sons and daughters live like this. They live like Hebrews 11.6 is the truth. What does Hebrews 11.6 say? God says, you have to believe that I am and that I'm, uh, that I'm good, that I'm a rewarder of those who seek me. How many of you are living like God is a real rewarder of your pursuit of Him and how you obey Him in the world and how you honor Him in the world and how you speak the name of Christ out in the world? 
It's an awesome promise, man. Let me close with this verse. You guys know it. God says, My kids desire a better country. Hebrews 11.16 My children desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, I am not ashamed to be their God. Those who are heavenly minded, those who are seeking after me, those who are pursuing me, God says, may I... There's nothing like... There's not another verse like this anywhere in the Bible. God says, I am not ashamed to be their God. Let's pray together. Lord God, maybe some of us in here need to repent of being worldly-minded. We've allowed the world to steal our attentions. Lord God, if that's true of us, we ask that You forgive us, that You would help us, that the Holy Spirit would come and and help us, that we might become heavenly-minded children, that we might be pointing at the Bema seat, at the judgment seat of Christ, that we would be mindful every morning when we wake up that this this whole thing is a stewardship. It's all about You. Every bit of it's about You. It's not about us. It's about the glory of the Son. Everything is about the glory of Jesus. Everything. Even down to the smallest thing we do, we are to do to the glory of Christ, as Paul says. Whether we eat or drink, let it be for the glory of God. Or teach us to be children like this, to take these things serious, to take them to heart. Lord, help us to finish strong. May every one of us in this room that know You May we finish strong, Lord. May we not, be, may we not turn to our left and right and be distracted by the, the distractions of the world, but may we finish strong for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us, I pray. We are weak and feeble. We can't concentrate very long on any one thing. Help us, Lord. Help us to become fixed and stayed upon Your glory and upon Your promise. As we kick it on into the shore, help us, great God, I pray. Thank you for this great exhortation. Thank you for all these awesome promises. We're on our way home, and it won't be long. It won't be long now. We praise you, beautiful Lord Jesus. Amen.